So as I, as I was thinking about the text uh, that we're going to look at tonight, which in, in many ways will be probably familiar to most of you, I was thinking about the human body and what uh, an extraordinary, um, what a wonderful thing the body is, a, a thing of, of, of true beauty and wonder. I, when I think of this, I, I often think of athletes, and uh, one of the reasons that I, I like to watch professional athletes is uh, that they have such um, extraordinary ability. I think of, of uh, basketball players or of um, swimmers and uh, or, or football players, you know, making these extraordinary, you know, Odell Beckham making these extraordinary catches or, or gymnasts in the Olympics or divers or... Um, or switching from athletics, you know, maybe to, to dance. Uh, and, um, and and particularly if you uh, ever have the opportunity to watch uh, a, a really extraordinary athlete or performer uh, in slow motion, you know, when they slow it down and you see the, um, the, the beautiful combination of strength and elegance and um, complex action uh, that, that produces, you know, a, a, a beautiful, uh, beautiful result. Um, that's just one way that, you know, I think of the psalmist uh, David saying uh, um, to the Lord, I am I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And so it, uh, in, in light of, I think, the beauty of the body, it's, it's uh, interesting, isn't it? Um, and perhaps, in a way, unsurprising that, one of the primary metaphors that God uses in his word to talk about the community of his people, the church, is the metaphor of uh, the church as a body. And this, this shows up in different places in, in the New Testament. Um, and it's a beautiful metaphor because, similar to our human bodies, uh, it's, it's a unity. It, it, is, it, is, it is one thing, and yet... It has many different parts, eyes, ears, hands, feet, arms. And, uh, and, and we recognize that we experience day in and day out. Uh, we experience the fact that when every part is working well, uh, the body is healthy. Um, but uh, when even the smallest part is not working well, if I get out of bed in the morning and on the way to the bathroom, I stub my toe, you know, on the foot of the bed, uh, that small part can, can ruin my entire day. And depending on how badly I stub that toe, maybe my whole week, right? Um, and so parts of the body that when, it, when it's all working well, uh, we, we feel great. But even when the smallest part fails our whole bodies suffer. My father passed away in December at the age of 98. And um, so here's a man who, you don't live to be 98 unless you've got uh, considerable physical strength and uh, health and soundness of body. But probably for the last 20 years of his life, uh, he suffered from macular degeneration. And so much of those last 20 years uh, for him were marked by a kind of suffering, physical suffering, because he could not, uh, he, he had physical strength. He'd go to the, the doctor and they'd say, you know, Bill, you're in good shape. 
I'm named after my dad. But, um, <laughs> but without his, his his vision, he couldn't read. Uh, he uh, you know quickly he couldn't drive. He, so he was reduced mobility, and, and all of those those kinds of things that that happen uh, when the whole body is not functioning well. So it's in that context that uh, the scripture speaks of the body, and I want us to turn to this passage in 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul employs this metaphor to challenge the Corinthians with another one of their uh, issues that was plaguing them as a church. Uh, I want to pick up in verse 12 and uh, read a section of this. Uh, he, he develops this at length, but we'll, so we won't read the whole chapter. But he, re- he says in verse 12, Just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. In one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And if the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, uh, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, that's kind of a uh, grotesque image, um, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, uh, where would the sense of smell be? I mean, imagine Daniel as a giant ear. Um, <laughs> But as it is God, maybe not. <laughs> as it is God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And so the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts, of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so comprised the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So one of the central themes uh, that the church at Corinth was plagued by uh, was ego. It was uh, arrogance. And if you read 1 Corinthians, you'll see this coming up over and over again. Uh, we saw it this morning in, in, in uh, group devotions in, in chapter 1. Um, uh, an arrogance that, in this case, they 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 brought over it, they, they carried it over into their views of the spiritual life, of what made a person spiritual and what made a person super spiritual, and and that kind of thing. They, so they had a decided uh, tendency to evaluate by a comparative sort of measure individual worth, both from. Uh, accidental things of birth, like family of origin and uh, things like wealth, um, but also in terms of spirituality, in terms of things like uh, uh, how, how they perceived one another in terms of how God had endowed them with uh, 
manifestations of the spirit, what, what we would call spiritual gifts. And, and so there is this, this fundamental principle of the heart that, that they are operating under, which if we, if we kind of push under it and say, what's at the root of it? It, it is, uh, they were faced with something that I think many of us in this room if we are honest about ourselves, that we also grapple with. And that was a deep insecurity. A deep insecurity. And where does that insecurity come from that would lead me to compare myself with others? It comes from, uh, I, I saw this in something I was reading by Tim Keller, what, what he calls um, honor hunger. Uh, that, the, that the insecure person, that we, we are, are plagued by this hunger for honor. Uh, we, we might say an hunger, uh, a hunger for, for glory, which, which leads us to seek to prove or to establish uh, our worth before others. And uh, in practice, this works itself out, and we compare ourselves uh, with other people. And... When, when we compare ourselves and, 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 and we compare favorably, then our, our sort of honor hunger is satisfied in some level, and so we feel good about ourselves. We feel satisfied. But if we compare unfavorably, we feel de uh, deflated. Uh, and uh, I think most of us relate at some level uh, out of a combination of these, these dynamics uh, sometimes we feel better about ourselves where we feel superior, and sometimes we feel worse about ourselves where we feel inferior. And so there's this pride and this envy that's it's always we're sort of cycling between. I mean, you know, I think back to being a, a you know a kid in third grade whenever we were uh, dividing up teams for touch football, right? And nobody wants to get picked last. You know, if you get picked first, yeah, oh, we want Bill on our team. Wow, well then, okay, I feel, I feel cool. I feel good. I feel good about myself. I'm, I was first picked. Wow. You know? uh, but uh, let's see, is there anybody else? Uh, yeah, we'll take that guy. Yeah, we'll take Bill. Um, and then you're like, oh, well, they don't even want me. Right? And, you know, my, my whole sense of, uh, of self kind of, rises and falls, and, and, and you know, with the, with the Corinthians, there's this dynamic there. In, 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 their, uh, in, in, in their community, um, they're comparing themselves, and in, in both instances, what we're, we're seeing here is that at the root of this, this honor hunger is, is a, a fundamental self-focus, a fundamental uh, self-absorption. And, and that is, uh, we, we might say, that is the human heart apart from the transformative power of the gospel. That kind of self-absorbed, uh, hungry dynamic. Um, with the Church of Corinth, this works out in how they think about spiritual gifts and, and the working of the Spirit, because they assign greater value or greater importance to certain of the gifts, certain of the ways that the Spirit was manifesting itself in, in their midst, um, and, and lesser value uh, to, to others. And why would they even do that? Well, it relates in a way to what Joel was just talking about, that um, they, uh, they tended to 
that denigrate the, the body and have this a certain kind of uh, exalted view of the spiritual. And so the more kind of out there it was, in a way, I could use that term, in terms of manifestation of the spiritual, they thought, well, that, the more, that's, that must be, that's cooler. So, wow, if I speak in tongues, that is really cool. And uh, so the super spiritual were the ones who spoke in tongues. And, oh, you have the gift of service. <laughs> you know, that's pretty ordinary. <laughs> Nothing too cool about that. Um, and, and so uh, this is a faulty spirituality, and David's going to take us into that some tomorrow night. But in the community, those who, who felt themselves to be inferior, oh, why didn't I get that one? You know, why did you give me this gift, God? I, I wish I had something that was more cool. Uh, they might look at others with a certain kind of envy uh, or jealousy or resentment. They may feel kind of in the spiritual realm. Oh, I guess I'm just kind of a loser. You know, why didn't God give me the gift of prophecy? Uh, and then those who feel themselves somehow to be superior because... They have these greater gifts, or perhaps other ways this manifests itself because they have more prominent positions of leadership in the community. Uh, they're the people who are up front. They're leading worship. They're um, leading the ministry teams. Uh, maybe they're even, you know, on officers or on the the you know leaders of the servant team or, or you know whatever your your leadership terminology might be. Um, or maybe they are more mature. Uh, they, they know the, the Bible better. They know the, their theology better. Um, those who, who have reason to feel themselves comparatively more superior are tempted to look down on other people and sometimes even to be dismissive of other people. That guy's kind of, you know, he's kind of, he annoys me. Uh, and to feel that somehow they're winners by comparison of their position or their giftedness, or their, their status. And both of these responses, either, oh, I feel like a loser in the body, or I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm a guy that God can't, can't manage without. Um, or a mixture of these two. These arise out of this, this deep, self-absorbed uh, longing to be someone of worth. And obviously, this is a destructive Influence uh, in the body of Christ that when when we are a bunch of self-absorbed people who are constantly measuring our significance as human beings by comparing ourselves to other people, not just in the realm of spirituality, I and mean, we could extend this to, to everything. I mean, this is epidemic in a place like Princeton. But this is who we are apart from the gospel. But the gospel can and does and will transform that kind of thinking and that kind of, of valuing into something uh, beautiful. Apart from the gospel, we all tend to either be self-disdaining or superior, self-confident. And so, in, in, in just in terms of even how I view myself as, as a person, I may be confident in my own righteousness, my own essential uh, goodness, 
which means that I'm not going to be a humble person. Or I may have, have low self-regard, which I might in some sense construe as, as humility, but, but that leads me to have no real sense of worth before other people. And the gospel comes in and it addresses both of these uh, self-absorbed reactions. Because on the one hand, the gospel does humble us. It does tell you, you know what, you're not worthy. You're not such hot stuff. God is not impressed with you. God doesn't need you. And you're not righteous. You're not good. Um, and so the gospel comes in and it humbles us. But on the other hand, it says, you know what? But I do love you. I do accept you. Not because of your performance, either good or bad, but in spite of it, because of Christ. And so the result of the gospel, when it really begins to take root in our hearts, is that we can be both a humble people, who are not always trying to get our sense of, of, of worth from other people, and yet a confident people as well, because we don't need that, that honor fix from other people, because we know that God has bestowed upon us the name of sons and daughters of his beloved. And so when the gospel really takes hold, we're not threatened by serving one another in ways that might be, for example, invisible or thankless. Because we know that our Father in heaven sees. Uh, we're, we're not threatened by serving in ways that might seem too lowly. Because our Savior himself got up from the table and stripped off his clothes and got down on the floor and washed his disciples' feet. He wasn't threatened by that any more than we should be because he knew who he was in relation to the Father. He knew he was the Father's beloved Son. And so we're not threatened by serving in humble ways. We don't need the esteem. We don't need the gratitude of other people because we're secure in the love of God. But on the other hand, we don't feel superior to other people either because we understand that we are not better than one another. We're unworthy of God's lavish grace. And so the gospel frees us both from the attitude in regard to the community that says, I'm not a part of this. I'm not important. I don't matter. But it also frees us from an attitude that would say, I don't need you. I've got, I'm super spiritual. I don't need you. It frees us uh, both from the, our feelings of superiority and inferiority, and it frees us to esteem, to welcome one another as beloved brothers and sisters, even as God welcomes us as beloved sons and daughters. It frees us to associate with all kinds of people, because we're not associating with people to get something from them. If I'm operating out of honor hunger, it's always, what can you do for me? Maybe I'm going to hang out with you because you're a loser, because you make me feel better about myself. I mean, that's the way our hearts work. But, but when we, where the gospel frees us from this, so that we are no longer trying to get from 
it frees us to give of ourselves to others. And so ultimately, the gospel calls us into, I should say, out of that self-absorption and into a kind of a self-forgetfulness. C.S. Lewis is often quoted, I don't think he actually said this, um, uh, this definition, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And I think there's something true to that, that the gospel transforms my need to always be thinking about myself, comparing myself, measuring my worth. The gospel says, no, Bill, your worth is established. God so loved you. God demonstrated his love for you in that Christ died for you. Your your worth is a settled thing. You don't need to be trying to, to measure that by thinking of yourself all the time. But then coming back finally to the body metaphor is that, that, that also this helps us to recognize that God in his, his wisdom, he, he gives a diversity, a, a rich diversity of gifts to his people. Not so we can say, hey, look at me. Look how good I can play the guitar. Look how good I can sing. Look how good I can, uh, you know, uh, teach or uh, any of the different things that we, that we might uh, uh, appeal to to sort of get people. He gives us these not for our own glory, but what? To each one, the scripture says, is given the manifestation of the Spirit. What? For the common good. That we can give of ourselves. That each part can do its part. And when every part of the body does its part, what happens? The body builds itself up in love. It's healthy. It is something beautiful. And it's the gospel that helps us to see ourselves, to see the beauty of the body of Christ, and to see one another in this way. I want to just close by urging you. I, th- I, th- I, I think this is, in a sense, easy to preach, because I think this is where we all live. And so the question is, are we willing to really let the the gospel permeate our hearts and minds so that we begin to think about ourselves in a new way as those against all expectation whom God has had mercy on, whom he has lavished his grace upon as his beloved children, our identity, our worth is rooted and grounded in that. We don't need glory from others either to look up to them with envy or down on them with superiority and pride. Can God begin to work that in us so that we can really begin to embrace the community that he's embedded us in? So I just want to urge you, you guys, urge myself. I mean, first of all, starting point is to thank, thank God for the, the beautiful body of Christ, which is his church, and all of its parts, to thank God. I mean, have you ever done that, to thank God for the community that he has created in Christ, and, and the local manifestation of it, of which you are a part 
the individuals who make up the different parts. Thank God that you, as an individual, are a part of the body. You are a finger, you are a toe, you're an ear. You're a part. You are the left nostril. <laughs> Whatever that part might be, you're a part of the body of Christ. And God has assigned you that part. You say, thank you, God, that, that you've not only made me your child, but you've made me part of this, this community. And, and so thirdly, can you thank him that he always, always gives you a particular way to serve, a particular way to support, to give, to strengthen, a part to play, to build up the community, to bring glory to Christ, to manifest Christ to the world. There, there, there is no child of God who can legitimately say, I have no part to play. The body has no need of me. That, that's false. And, and so with, with that knowledge that God always gives us a particular way, you, many, many of us often think, well, God, I wish I knew exactly what, I don't know what part of the body I am. I would say to you tonight, don't worry about that. Just pitch in. Get involved. Wherever you see a need, wherever you see an opportunity, don't wait for the, the perfect body part uh, to open up. Uh, the, the perfect job, the perfect role. And certainly don't wait until you're the perfect person. Uh, get involved. Get involved in the responsibilities of ministry to one another. Whatever a job needs doing, Whenever there's something that uh, no one else seems to do, you might say, oh, I don't like setting up chairs. Well, that's what the body needs, is somebody to help set up the chairs. And so this calls us to repent of our honor hunger, repent of our superiority, of our inferiority, and, and to, to replace that self-absorption with the self-forgetfulness that gets busy also not only pitching in, but I don't think we do enough to affirm one another, to thank one another, to notice the ways other people are serving, and, and just to acknowledge that, to say thank you. Thank you for that beautiful smile. That encourages me right now. Thank you for helping set up the chairs. Thank you for leading us in worship. That's a very simple way to, to strengthen and affirm the body, not to be focusing on yourself, but building it up in love. The body of Christ can be a beautiful thing when the gospel takes root in us, when we begin to forget about ourselves and begin to, to do the parts that God calls us each to. Father, I pray that you will... take this uh, simple lesson that goes so much to the heart of what motivates us too much of the time, and that where we need to repent of our self-focus, our desire for glory, our desire to be honored by others, this Lord, to repent of that, to let go of it, Lord, where we need to repent of the of a 
really prideful sense uh, that the body doesn't need us. Lord, help us to see ways in which that response is often selfish. Repent of that. Give us grateful hearts, Lord, that you have loved us with an everlasting love. That you have made us your children and that you have made us part of the community of faith and that you give us each one individually a place, a role, a job. And may we each uh, do it well, do it beautifully, that the body itself might be a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing to the world. We pray in Christ's name. Thank you.